3: who would want to be a cop you have to believe that the number of people who do has to be shrinking every day garrett wolf has to be wondering right now why he became one he's the cop in atlanta who shot and killed rayshard brooks uh, last week and as of just a little while ago Late this afternoon, uh, he's now facing 11 charges, including felony murder, which could, believe it or not, potentially lead to the death penalty. That's what the Georgia district attorney said today. The other officer, his name is uh, Devin Brosnan. He's facing three charges, uh, including aggravated assault. Here's what the district attorney, Paul Howard Jr., said, quote, We've concluded at the time Mr. Brooks was shot that he did not pose an immediate threat of death or serious physical injury to the officer or officers, unquote. Um, You've probably seen the video, and you can have an opinion on whether you think the shooting was justified. I guess I would leave that to people who know the rules of engagement for police officers. That will all come out in what's apparently going to be a trial. The two cops in Atlanta are going to get due process, and you wonder how much pressure the district attorney felt to bring charges Uh, I mean, if, if George Floyd hadn't been killed a few weeks ago, would those charges have been brought? I don't know. But if you're a cop, how would you feel about having any kind of confrontation with a suspect, especially if you're a white cop and the suspect or subject is black? Can anybody really look at that video and decide that Garrett Rolfe deserves the death penalty? Now, I'd be surprised if there is not a mass exodus from police forces all over the country. Wouldn't you? I wasn't serious yesterday when I said here that, you know, maybe only black cops should be allowed to deal with black suspects. But if you were a white cop, how would you feel right now about confronting anyone in a violent situation, but especially a black person? I just know if I were a cop, I'd be looking around for some jobs in security or something totally unrelated to law enforcement right now. And here's another idea. <clears throat> and this this may sound ridiculous, but it's if you think about... The people running around saying defund the police and abolish the police, it's not as radical as that. Uh, maybe it's time to just take uh, cops' guns away. You can't shoot anybody if you don't have a gun, so how about not being allowed to carry a gun when you're out, out on patrol? Uh, I think that might also cause a little bit of a thinning in the ranks among the police if that were to happen. But the message we seem to be getting here is uh, is that cops, especially white ones, are either racist murderers or trigger happy accidents waiting to happen, or if not murders waiting to happen, maybe Andy of Mayberry had the right idea. Remember, he allowed the Barney Fife to have only one bullet. And there's a video going viral today. It's a woman. Uh, it's a, a woman cop, and she's in her car, and she's telling a story of having just been at McDonald's at the end of her long work day, like a 12 or 14 hour day, and hadn't eaten all day. And then when she got to the parking lot. Uh, where they were going to bring the food out after she went through the drive-thru. I guess uh, there they bring the food out to you. She said she was starving, but after she got the food, she thought about it and decided she couldn't trust the people working at McDonald's because she didn't see them make the food, and so she was afraid of what they might have put in her food. As I said, who would want to be a cop today? By the way, she was crying at the end of the video. That's where we are. And when we come back, we have Professor Wilford Riley. He's been on the show before. He's from Kentucky State University. He's a professor there of political science. He's also an author. He's black. And he has some strong opinions on systemic racism and defunding the police. Stick around. Worried about deductibles and copays, dental or vision? How about elective procedures? Marley Financial has got you covered. This is John Steigerwald. Marley Financial is now offering a new health savings account that can be used for anything health-related, anything, copays and deductibles, any prescription, even elective procedures. Marley's new turbocharged health savings account can set you free of high premiums and out-of-pocket expenses. There's even a company-matching component that can provide two or even three to one in benefits. And because it's a contribution, not a premium, your value stays with you for the rest of your life. And if you recently lost your job and your health benefits, Marley has programs to get you the coverage you need when you need it most. Call Marley Financial today at 724-884-1496 and ask about their new turbocharged health savings account that's 784-884-1496 marley financial the most innovative agency in the marketplace at marleyfg.com
2: gold it's soaring are you missing it if you have an ira or 401k you probably are less than one percent hold physical gold we've been told by wall street it's for crazy people really what's crazy about an asset that beats stocks two to one i'm adam Burrata. National best-selling author of the book, Gold is a Better Way. Owner of Advantage Gold and Inc. 5000 member and highest rated gold IRA firm in the world. Gold is booming because gold is really about debt. And global debt is a pandemic. If you have an IRA or a 401k, I want to give you my book for free. That's right, free. Text GOLD to 49776. That's the word GOLD to 49776. Learn why gold will outperform pumped up stocks from this point forward. Turn your IRA into a wealth growth machine. Text the word GOLD to 49776. It's time to stop being crazy.
3: compliance with the government's social distancing guidelines. If you've had damage, you may be eligible for free repair or replacement. Visit windows or us, pittsburgh.com for a free inspection from one of their highly trained appraisers. You'll love their no-pressure approach, no hidden fees, and one of the fastest turnaround times in the industry. From a company that will never skip town when it comes to honoring their warranty, why pay double? Trust the area's premier exterior replacement company. That's windows or us, Pittsburgh.com. Windows or Us,
1: As the will of the students goes, so goes the will of the nation. This is a central theme of the new movie, Return to the Hiding Place, the film about Corrie Ten Boom and her secret army of teenagers' heroic efforts to hide and save Jews from the Nazis during World War II. Corrie's story was made famous by her book and original movie produced by the Billy Graham Association. Now, 45 years later, comes Return to the Hiding Place, the untold behind-the-scenes true story of Corrie's secret army of student teenagers' efforts to rescue Jewish people. Told by Hans Poli, one of Corey's teens in The Resistance, Return to the Hiding Place is an action-packed film of the Dutch underground's true, breathtaking rescue of an entire orphanage of Jewish children. Return to the Hiding Place, starring John Rhys Davies. Watch this captivating movie tonight with your older children at SalemNow.com and save 20% with the promo code MOVIE. Return to the Hiding Place at SalemNow.com, promo code MOVIE. Due to historical content, might not be suitable for younger audiences.
0: This is the John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250, The Answer.
3: Well, take a look at what's happening around the country today, and you would never guess that 12 years ago, a black man was elected president of the United States, and then eight years ago, he was reelected. Now, the talk of racism and what to do about it is everywhere, and it's the consensus reason, really, for, seems to be anyway, for why so many black people are struggling now, the word we hear so much now is systemic. What does that mean, systemic racism, and how much of a problem is it? Dr. Wilford Riley is an assistant professor of political science at Kentucky State University. He's also the author of Taboo and Hate Crime Hoax. He joins us now. Wilford, thanks for coming on again. I appreciate it.
4: Yeah, i always glad to be on the show. Good to be back.
3: So you are a, a black man and a professor at an historically black college, uh, have you been the victim of systemic racism?
4: Um No, not in any real sense. but uh, that get that gets into the question of what systemic racism is. Okay. So like, any african-american guy and probably many white people in cities i've been the victim of racism i mean i've been called racial insults and things like high school fights i mean yeah. you know you always wonder whether the the rent you're paying or the the car payment you negotiated although I'm a pretty good negotiator after years in sales is you know a bit higher than it could have been something like that you encounter bigotry in life and i don't think it's unique mm-hmm. to black people This idea of systemic racism, though, is an interesting one, because it's the idea that essentially systemic racism, in a sentence. if you're talking to an ordinary, intelligent leftist, is the idea that the gaps we see between people in society are due to prejudice. Some kind of almost ghost-like hidden bigotry that we can no longer identify at the level of lawsuits or breaking out individuals, but that we know is out there somewhere. So for example, there are roughly two point five times as many brothers, as many African American men in jail as our population percentage would predict. Mm-hmm. So there are entire books about this, like Michelle Alexander's The New Jim Crow, arguing that this is systemic racism. Um, African Americans <clears throat> we're actually we're closing the gap with whites. We're finished ahead of Hispanics as I recall last year, but the African American SAT score is about nine fifty as versus ten fifty to eleven twenty for Caucasians. So people frequently trot out this argument, well, the test is biased. I mean, obviously there must be something wrong with the examination. I discuss this in my book, Taboo. That's systemic racism. And the, the issue I have with this idea is that with the, the exception of a very few systems, like Southern criminal sentencing, I mean, I still have my suspicions there, but almost invariably when you look at these gaps between, say, blacks and whites and Asians, and you adjust for variables other than race, like how much Asians study. The gap goes away. So if you look at that crime rate gap, I'll keep it to one. But um, there there are 2.5 times as many African-American men in jail as you would expect. But if you look at the annual crime report, our crime rate is 2.4 times the white male crime rate for those crimes that have victims where people really call on the police. I will note, this isn't a moral thing. It's not a genetic thing. I come from the trading floor sector, and whites dominate, dominate corporate crime. If you look at Bernie Madoff and all that. But nobody's mm-hmm. calling the police on the street because Bernie Madoff knocked them over the head and took their wallet. So if you adjust for crime rate, you find no differences between the percentages of black and white men in jail. And again, there are almost no Asian men in jail. So when you actually throw in groups like Asians and East Indians and Nigerians, and you adjust for how people behave and how old people are, most of these arguments for systemic racism just go away, and that's, that's a fascinating thing, and that's the thing I write about.
3: Well, yeah, and, and so you've uh, found the numbers to prove that, and, and, and the, you have the experience, and you did the research to prove that. So um, why is it so universally accepted now? It's just one of those things that you can say, and it's just, it's just accepted, not by everybody, but by most people and almost everybody in the media.
4: Well, I think things, in political science, we use the term heuristic for something that it's polite to believe that you don't discuss in public, um... It's just generally accepted. And right now, I mean, the leadership team in the country, if you look at mass media, big business, is kind of center-left, coastal. So this idea that there's a lot of racism out there and people need to be woke and fight it um, is is a heuristic. It's something else everyone believes. Just put that in context. For example, if you were at a gathering of American businessmen until about 1930, almost everyone would have believed the world was 6,000 years old. You know, I'm a fairly religious man myself, but I don't I don't believe that it's nonsensical to me. No offense to anyone. Mm-hmm. But it's the same sort of thing. People believe things because they're told them they're repeated over and over in the schoolhouse and the church house until they become something you're used to hearing. But they're often false. There's very, very little evidence that the United States of America is. An institutionally prejudiced country in that what I mean by that is that a white guy, a black guy and an Asian guy with the exact same qualifications would end up with very different incomes and marital prospects and so on later in life. The last I looked at the projections for those three guys, Tom, Soul, 2005, the difference in income between them was about two percent. So the systemic racism, we don't necessarily find evidence of that. We find problems in the black community caused by past racism, i.e. poverty, housing. We didn't benefit from the Homestead Act. And without making excuses, we also find issues caused by culture. If either blacks or whites studied as much for exams as Asians do, we would do as well as Asians do on those tests. What Mm -hmm. we don't find is a pattern where black guys or white guys that have exactly the same qualifications as the Asian guy I just mentioned are treated very differently, and that's what that's what systemic racism would mean. Systemic racism would mean you're sentenced to jail regardless of whether or not you committed a crime because you were in the city after sundown, and that that's what we used to have a hundred years ago.
3: Well, is it possible to claim that there's a systemic problem when it comes to police and the treatment of blacks, and not blame it on Democrats?
4: Can you can you have both? <laughs> Well, I mean, uh, you know, I, I lean up there you know, right myself. That's a funny last question. Uh, in terms of blaming on Democrats, so first of all, I don't think there's a systemic problem. What So, what we say in social science at a high level, where you'd be doing consulting for business, you'd be presenting in a major conference, what we say is be multivariate. That means before you trot out a model that might make somebody or cost somebody some money, Make sure, and this came up recently with coronavirus, by the way, although we're not getting into that, but those did not turn out to be accurate. But make sure you've got all of the things in there that are needed to predict what you're looking at accurately. So if you want to accurately look at whether the police are racist against African-Americans, you would have to look at not only how they treat black people versus white people, but how they treat black people versus white people once you adjust for age, crime rate, region all of these other things. And I don't think what, once you do that, you certainly find some bad departments at the margins. Minneapolis has had some issues recently. But I don't think you find any pattern of black people being systemically abused. So I mean, just no, to I break don't. that down. Uh, no, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, no, just to break that down briefly. First of all, the numbers around Leo's, our police officers in the USA interacting with people, aren't apocalyptic in the first place. The Washington Post keeps an entire police killing database. You can Google under that name. I suspect Mm -hmm. you know this already, but the total number of unarmed black men killed by Leos in 2019 was 15. The total number of unarmed people killed in general, and as always, 75 plus percent were were whites or Caucasian Hispanics, was a bit under 60. Mm -hmm. Total number of people killed armed or unarmed, most of these people were armed and attacking the officer, that was 1,002. And again, 229 of those people were black. Nearly 15% of the country was black. That's t- is black. That's hardly disproportionate at all before you adjust for crime rates. So we don't see an epidemic of police violence in the first place. You're talking about a thousand deaths nationally per year, as versus we've seen 118,000 for coronavirus. We see 20,000 murders nearly in a typical year, so on down the line. Um, Beyond that, once you adjust for characteristics like age, uh, African-Americans in general, much younger population, you know, higher crime rate, if we're being honest, the gap between black and white treatment shrinks even further. So, no, I don't think you can say that across all departments, including majority minority departments, which exist in many big cities, there is a pattern of black people being abused just for being black, regardless of whether or not we're committing crimes or we have more young men in the group, so on.
3: Well, that but that my that's I agree with all that. But but my point, I guess, is that uh, you are not claiming and you you don't buy the the uh, systemic issue systemic problem. Um, and but uh, Democrats do, and the the people who are the people who are running all of the big city police departments are claiming systemic racism. Uh, I don't believe that it exists like you don't, but. There are lots of people who now believe that they that it does, and they're out there selling it. But my my question is, how can you sell that that exists and then vote for a Democrat? That that if if you, you I'm just, I guess I'm saying, how can you have both? You, if it's well, systemic I, I... racism, it's 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 by the people that you're voting for.
4: Well, I, I mean, I think you could argue that Republicans set up the system of systemic prejudice or something like that. I mean, that, that would get into what you mean by systemic racism, which, again, activists very rarely want to define. But, yeah, th- there is a core point there that I think is a nonpartisan point, which is that and one of the things I say in almost every interview is that I would like to see the black community split our vote around 50-50. Um, The Asian-American community until quite recently did that, um, had a very disparate Jewish community, had a very disproportionately outsized impact on politics because both parties come to the table and want to have talks with you. But Mm -hmm. because we don't do that currently, you're right that most cities that have a large middle class African-American community have, for example, a black police chief have a city council that is virtually all Democratic and generally 30 to 50 percent black. You might have a black mayor. So in Minneapolis, the chief of police is black and Hispanic and was brought into that position specifically to promote diversity on the force. One of the things that's never mentioned, just as a quick sideline about this Minneapolis situation, by the way, when you talk about George Floyd, The impression you would get from the media is that the police department is staffed by Nazis, and they killed Mr. Floyd entirely in that tragic situation for being black. Mm -hmm. Um, It turns out if you do some digging, that's not accurate at all, Um, perhaps because of an issue with police training, perhaps because of very rapid hiring of more diverse officers. In fact, Minneapolis has had three or four of these situations in the past couple of years. Uh, Philando Castile, which was the most tragic of the Black Lives Matter cases, where a legal gun owner was shot in his own car with his girlfriend, Uh, that was Minneapolis, and that was a Hispanic officer, Geronimo Yanez. You had the case, I believe, a year or two back, where an Australian businesswoman who was traveling was shot by a Somali-American police officer. That became an international incident. I mean, at one point, Australia, I don't know how serious they were, but threatened some kind of sanctions against the state of Minnesota. And you then had this case where obviously the officer Shalvin, who killed Mr. Floyd, should face very serious penalties, but where two or three of the officers on the scene were men of color. I mean, Thao is of Hamong descent. I'm not quite sure about Lane. But Kung, as I understand, is of uh, Korean and Hispanic descent. So, I mean... The reality is that of the officers involved in those tragic situations, either four or five of the seven were members of minority groups. So yeah, when you actually look at who's responsible for policing and governing in a lot of these cities that have these problems, it's not a group of all-white conservative Republicans. No, and that that definitely does bring into question who is enforcing this, this bias against you. There's yep. a response to that, by the way, which is that, you know, black people can be white supremacists and so on. But then you're just getting into nonsense and ghost hopping. <laughs>
3: um, I only have a couple minutes left here uh, and I'm up against a hard break. Uh, I wanted to get into defund the police movement. Is that anything more than a, a knee jerk reaction? And how do you think that's uh, playing in the black neighborhoods where there's a lot of crime?
4: I think that, well, same as it is in the white neighborhoods where there's a lot of crime. If you look at people I've talked to here in Appalachia and Little Italy back home in Chicago, right down the line, uh, I think the, this is a very important question you asked though. The average working class African American guy who's a law abiding person, has a job like driving a bus or working for the school system, absolutely has no tolerance for criminals in their neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So this is and Heather McDonald, for example, has done a great deal of work about this, where she's actually around this, where she's actually had town halls in working class black communities and asked them what they want from the police. And the answer is we want more police. One of the things that we find about, quote unquote, hood neighborhood that's remarkable is that they're not over policed. They're under policed. And what I mean by that is you have more cops than you would in a pleasant suburban area, usually about twice as many, but not enough more cops to compensate for the difference in crime, which is often six or eight times as high. And that creates a worst-of-both-world scenario where people really do encounter aggressive cops more often. They feel like they're encountering aggressive cops more often. But sc- crime is still sky high because you don't have enough aggressive cops. So, I mean, I think that any of those people, if you talk to them, would say that pulling back the police is nuts. And what's going to happen if you pull back the police is not some deep theoretical question, it's what we've already seen. I mean, in the 1960s, for example, speaking as a political science guy, you saw the Miranda case, you saw Escobedo, you saw what's called fruit of the poison tree, where any evidence that's obtained by a police officer that in any way breaks any rule, he's not punished, the evidence is thrown out, can be 50 kilos of cocaine, it doesn't matter. We saw community policing. All that was instituted within about a 10-year period, and crime jumped roughly 500%. Uh, We saw a smaller version of the same thing uh, following the Michael Brown riots in 2014 that was notable enough. It was called the Ferguson effect. Uh, As police pulled back discretionary stops about 80 percent within two years, you saw murders jump from 14,000 to 17,294. So as we're talking about this same thing, again, I think a lot of people that actually live in working-class black and, for that matter, ethnic white neighborhoods are probably very scared. Those just aren't the voices that, for whatever reason, the media chooses to amplify.
3: Wilford, you've ended just in time. i got about 12 seconds left. Dr. Wilford Riley, thank you very much. Thanks. Bye. And we'll be back.
5: With SRN News, I'm Bob Agnew in Washington. Big news today in Atlanta. The County District Attorney Paul Howard Jr. announcing 11 charges will be filed against Officer Garrett Rolf, including one for felony murder for the shooting of Rayshard Brooks after a confrontation. At a Wendy's drive-thru, he also announced that one of the officers involved will testify against Rolfe. Senate Republicans on Capitol Hill today took the wraps off of their own uh, proposals for police reform. Republican Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina leading the charge for the Republicans. He says the bill, called the Justice Act, sends a right message to African Americans. The Justice Act is considered the most ambitious GOP policing proposal in years. It's a direct response to the massive public demonstrations over the death of George Floyd and other black Americans. On Wall Street at the close, the Dow was down 170 points. This is SRN News.
2: It's totally normal to be constipated with belly pain, straining and bloating again and again. No way. Maybe it's occasional constipation. Maybe it's not.
6: You could have a chronic condition called irritable bowel syndrome with constipation or IBSC. Linzess or linaclotide is a prescription that treats IBSC in adults. Linzess works differently than laxatives to help relieve belly pain and let you have more frequent and complete bowel movements. Individual results may vary. Do not give to children less than 6 and it should not be given to children 6 to less than 18. It may harm them. Do not take Linzess if you have a bowel blockage. Get immediate help if you develop unusual or severe stomach pain, especially with bloody black stools. The most common side effect is diarrhea, sometimes severe. If it's severe, stop taking Linzess and call your doctor right away. Other side effects include gas, stomach area pain, and swelling. Maybe it's not occasional constipation. Learn more at Linzess.com or call one 800 N Z E S S. You may be able to talk to a doctor online. Visit Linzess.com. Sponsored by Allergan and Ironwood. Dan Proft
0: explains what happens when you let the mob take over.
2: Seattle's Champaign Socialist Mayor Jenny Durkin turned over a police precinct and six blocks of the city to the mob to allow them to turn the barricades outward, establish Checkpoint Charlies, and a warlordocracy. The unthinkable will happen when you indulge the identitary politics that is afoot in all of our civic and cultural institutions, and that's what we've done.
0: The Dan Proft Show, weeknights at 9 at AM 1250,
4: The Answer. This is Jay Hagerman of Abernathy & Hagerman. Allegheny County's economy has been hard hit by the coronavirus pandemic. It's struggling to meet its revenue needs. Mandatory lockdowns and government-designated non-essential businesses have produced a massive surge in unemployment. Scholars at the Allegheny Institute for Public Policy say the county may have to tap fund reserves and resort to furloughs to make ends meet. Learn more
7: about this and other topics at AlleghenyInstitute.org. Now celebrating 25 years of proposing a sound public policy prescription.
0: ...relief factor, pain relief that's natural, pain relief that works, and pain relief that attacks the source of the pain. That's the experience of tens of thousands of Americans are taking Relief Factor right now. See their incredible video endorsements at ReliefFactor.com and then order your three-week quick starter pack for just nineteen ninety-five. That's less than a dollar a day. Find out if it can work for you like it works for me by ordering your three-week quick starter pack today. ReliefFactor.com. ReliefFactor.com. Be the next success story. AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer. What do you a division of Salem Media Group. Listen on the Answer mobile app, smart speakers, tune in, iHeart, or radio.com. Stuck in traffic? We've got the answer.
6: On the Parkway East, seeing delays in both directions. Inbound, just past Edgewood, Swissville, down to the Squirrel Hill Tunnel. About five extra minutes there. Also a minor delay into the Fort Pitt Bridge. Outbound, a couple extra minutes getting from the Greenfield Bridge. Overpass up to the Tunnel. Parkway West, couple-minute delay inbound Banksville Road to the Fort Pitt Tunnel. Parkway North is right now seeing no delays, but the HOV lanes do remain closed until further notice. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson.
0: AM 1250, the answer,
6: weather. Partial clouds for the rest of your Wednesday. Tonight's low, 60. More humid on Thursday with clouds and sunshine with a spotty shower or thunderstorm in the afternoon. High 81. Thursday night and evening, shower or thunderstorm, otherwise partial clouds, low 61. Friday, humid with clouds and sun. Watch for a shower or thunderstorm in the afternoon with a high 77. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Andy Robb. You're listening to the John wall Show on AM
0: 1250, The Answer.
3: Well, with everything that's happened and everything that uh, Donald Trump has accomplished in the last three and a half years... Still, the best thing about him, he's not Hillary Clinton. She came really close to being president, and it's hard to imagine having had to put up with her for the last three and a half years. Imagine her and the coronavirus. Anyway, the country dodged a bullet. and Lots of people who uh, gave lots of money to the Clintons are still disappointed that she's not president. Mark Hyman's an author. He's here to tell us where a lot of that money came from. He joins us now. Mark, thanks for being
7: here. Hey, John, it's always a pleasure to spend some time with you. And I've got two of my three dogs at my feet, and I hope they remain quiet.
3: Yeah, i got two with me here, too, uh, one one of the two. And if they're, if they're not quiet, I, I there's nothing I can do about it, I guess. Uh, the title of the book is uh, Pardon Gate, How Bill and Hillary Clinton and Their Brothers Profited from Pardons. If you were able to do a book on this subject, I'm guessing we're talking about a lot of money here.
7: No, we are, and the and first your listeners might ask is, are you kidding me? That was 20 years ago. Why does anybody care? But there had been some reporting. People knew about Mark Rich, the billionaire fugitive, and there were a couple other folks out there, but I don't think people realize just how widespread this corruption was, the number of people who had connections to the Clintons who received pardons on the final day. Everything from folks who were donors beforehand and certainly donors afterwards to folks who were essentially cronies, buddies, um, former Arkansas or former Whitewater partners. Forty-seven of the folks who received pardons on the final day didn't even submit their pardon applications to the Department of Justice. Another 30 didn't even bother submitting pardons at all. They didn't even submit an application. They just got them. It's not the way the system works because there's a series of checks and balances. Yes. The president authority is absolute, but there is a process to go through with the DOJ reviews, the application, the FBI reviews the application and make certain that the person is truthful and that they haven't engaged in any, any shenanigans since their conviction. And oh, by the way, two of the people that Bill Clinton gave pardons to were under FBI investigation for further crimes when he pardoned them. So this was a total free for all. And giving away pardons but the most insidious part was how hillary and the brothers roger hugh and tony profited by the millions of dollars either personally in the case of the brothers or hillary in terms of the amount of money they carried rolling into her various campaigns running for the senate and the president later on this was where the entire pay for play scheme that ran for 20 years began with these pardons starting in late 1999 through Clinton's last day in office.
3: So that, I mean, we're not talking just about pardons. We're we're talking about uh, using pardons to eventually uh, fund the campaign of someone who came really close to being president.
7: Oh, absolutely. And, of course, it started when Hillary first ran for the Senate. Bill Clinton reviewed or received almost 3,300 petitions for commutations through July of 1999. He approved three. That's a 99.9% disapproval rating. He didn't approve anyone's commutations. And then Hillary announced in July of 99, she's going to run it for the Senate. Three weeks later, Bill Clinton offers commutations to 16 Puerto Rican terrorists who didn't even request pardons, didn't even request commutations. But the Puerto Rican voting bloc is pretty big in New York and Rudolph Giuliani, who was at the time going to be the Republican nominee before he stepped down from cancer, had had gotten 43% of the Puerto Rican vote in his last mayoral race. So he was very popular with the Puerto Ricans. And this was a demographic the Clintons wanted to capture. So they offered commutations to deadly terrorists who killed people. They killed at least four, injured more than 100, committed more than $45 million worth of damage in their bombing campaign in the 1970s. And they didn't even ask for executive clemency.
3: And as is and as is the case with all of this stuff, when it comes to people like Bill Clinton, uh, the media just didn't seem to think that was a real interesting story. I remember that when the when the, all the Puerto Rican uh, terrorists were were pardoned, and uh, there wasn't a lot of interest outside of you know Rush Limbaugh and and Fox News.
7: No, absolutely. It's uh, there's certainly there's certainly an amount of complicity in a part of so much of the media who studiously ignored what were certainly corrupt pardons. And again, the president's authority is absolute. But it's worthwhile looking at these and holding folks accountable so that this doesn't happen again. If there's enough blowback, then perhaps presidents will think and use their pardon powers wisely. And I would say, for the most part, throughout history. Most of them have. They've been seen. They're genuine. They seem to have a thorough review of the applications. In some cases, I would argue they aren't generous enough because Mm -hmm. this whole notion of official forgiveness for crimes should be used when it makes sense. But Bill Clinton was the stingiest president in American history, with the exception of Thomas Jefferson, for his first six years in office. He only gave away. 54 pardons and commutations in his first term. Thomas Jefferson gave away less, 45, and there were only 5 million people in the country in that time. But Bill Clinton became the most generous guy after July of 1999 when Hillary announced she was running for the presidency. But let's not forget the brothers. They made over a million dollars among the three of them that we know of from people who paid for them to have pardons. Think about that. They paid the brothers to hustle a pardon, from Bill Clinton, yeah, that, guys. That, that's Carson what I wanted denied. to ask you
3: about, Mark. We're talking to Mark Hyman, is the author of uh, Pardon Gate, how Bill and Hillary Clinton and their brothers profited from pardons. So, how did it work? Um, did somebody, you know, did did uh, Roger Clinton get a phone call from somebody and say, "Listen, my brother-in-law has been in prison for ten years. He'd really like to get out. What will it cost me for you to go to Bill and try to get this
7: guy out?" Is that how it worked? There certainly seemed to be an understanding throughout the Clinton orbit that they could orchestrate pardons and the relationships that the brothers had didn't make any sense at all. Um, the, the the folks that walked forward, Carlos Vignali was a major cocaine drug kingpin in LA. And yet one of the Rodham brothers represented him to the tune of several hundred thousand dollars, and urged Bill Clinton to pardon him. Um, Roger Clinton tried to get pardons for a couple folks that he knew. In the case of a Texas businessman who was desperate to get a pardon, he told this guy it would cost him $300,000, and I guarantee your name will be on the pardon list. And in that case, he didn't get it. What's fascinating is every person that Hugh and Tony Rodham represented and for whom they were paid got pardons. Roger Clinton wasn't a successful and I think it really comes down to this Roger bill only had to weather the disappointment of Roger not coming up with the pardons that he wanted, but bill would have to weather the wrath of Hillary <laughs> if her brothers didn't get their pardons and yeah. every person that paid Hugh and Tony Rodham got a pardon. Roger Clinton was batting about 500. He got pardons for some folks others he didn't but in several cases he got paid two three four hundred thousand dollars to hustle pardons that didn't come through i just was thinking just the other day one of them just kind of blew me away was harvey weinig who was a new yorker who was the money launderer for the cali drug cartel but he was very close friends to guys like john podesta and harold Ickes, who were tight 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 with the clintons particularly hillary They lobbied Bill to pardon Harvey Weinig, the money launderer for the Cali cartel, and he got a pardon. This blew up in South America because you had all these South American leaders who said, Are you kidding me? You guys are doing what you accuse us of doing. You're doing deals with the drug dealers. We can't believe it. It certainly damaged our credibility in early 2001 when Harvey Weinig received the presidential pardon. For money uh, money laundering in the tunes of hundreds of millions of dollars. It it boggles the mind that these pardons are given out. And what's different about my book, while people may know about the Mark Rich and that, know about the Puerto Rican terrorists, I looked at every pardon and scrubbed every pardon from the time Hillary announced she was running for president or running for the Senate until Bill left office. And there are a lot of folks in here that you might consider anonymous, um, nobodies. But they got pardons and you wondered why. Well, you would find these situations where their attorney was somebody who was a good friend with the Clintons. There were a couple of Arkansas men as an example. Robert Fain and James Manning had been convicted of filing false tax returns. They hire a guy out of New York City, William Cunningham, in a big firm who's never filed a pardon in his life. He files a pardon application four days before the end of President Bill Clinton's term. And Wow, shocker, these men get pardons. It also turns out that William Cunningham well, was the treasurer for Hillary Clinton's two Senate campaigns. So it was he, always a tie of relationships. I, I pulled out about 70 people who have relationships with Hillary who either were hustling the pardons or the recipients of pardons that Bill Clinton handed out in his last year and a half in office.
3: I've I got a question for you, Mark, um, and so you've, you've looked into these uh this this family a little bit. Who's more corrupt uh, and more power hungry, Hillary or Bill?
7: You know, it's my sense as I've looked at this over the years, it's really Hillary. Certainly, has been the power behind the throne. And I think she's more conniving. I think the moments, and, and for people who have met Bill Clinton and, and told me they met him, who disagree him politically, have said he's a charming guy. He's got some mm-hmm. charisma. He can be a decent guy, but it seems like Hillary. It's, everything is, is always a calculation on how she profits from something going forward. Even in the yep. case of the Puerto Rican terrorists, when Bill Clinton offered them in early August '99, he said, I'm, I'm going to give you guys commutations and I'm going to give you a month to think about it. You just have to renounce terrorism. terrorism. Hillary wouldn't even speak out on that for an entire month. She wanted to see where the political winds blew. And then when there was a lot of uproar in New York, then she said, I disagree with this opinion. Of course, it still benefited well, her because she did well at the Puerto Rican vote.
3: You know, back in the mid-90s, it, it may have been like 94. Uh, Bill Clinton was only in office a short time. I read a book called Partners in Power. I don't know if you've ever heard of that book. Um, and have- it it was – it's a tremendous book because – it's all about the Clintons in Arkansas. This was before he had been president for very long, so he hadn't gotten into too much trouble yet as president. But after having read that book, I think the guy's name is Roger Morrison. Um, he also wrote a book about Nixon. It's a great book for someone to read because, uh, uh, because it, 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 it would tell you why you found out the things that you did because everything that he got in trouble with in uh, Washington, D.C., he and Hillary, they did in Arkansas. And we're well known for it. So their corruption goes back a long way. I'm wondering how many people he pardoned as governor. I bet he, I bet he used that for his uh, to his own benefit too.
7: Oh, absolutely. There were folks he pardoned as governor for state crimes. He later pardoned for federal crimes. Oh, absolutely. This is a complete replay of what went on in Arkansas. And there was not even the the level of interest by the press to look at the Clintons back then. And the cases where there was some interest, it'd be a small town newspaper. It didn't have a reach. It didn't, it didn't have uh, any kind of uh, impact when they did stories on this. Uh, I remember early on in the Clinton's uh, white house tenure that Hillary had engineered essentially the replacement of all of the IGs throughout the federal government. And I think she got through most of them. And I, I want to say there's something like 70 of them. And people wonder, why are they all being replaced? But the IGs are the ones who look for bad stuff going on in departments. And so while there's been some comments in the news recently of the Trump White House replacing IGs, replacing one, two, or three, or four, pales of comparison when nearly all of them are replaced in the first couple of years of the Clinton administration. This is how calculated... Well, all. I have they, only they two, two minutes notes.
3: left here, Mark. Um, One of Hillary's uh, brothers died recently. People connected to the Clintons tend to die, it seems, in mysterious ways. Any questions about her late brother's death?
7: They've been very tight-lipped about it. He passed away just about a year ago. Um, That was the younger brother. Um, He certainly had had some issues with some um, drug usage in the past. I don't know if that was an impact. I don't know how serious it was but certainly he was still a relatively young guy. I think he was uh, still in his late 50s, perhaps very early 60s, um, and he certainly wasn't the heavy one. The older brother was the one who really struggled with weight. So it was a bit of a surprise, but the family's been tight-lipped about it, hasn't said anything, and they said, More. please respect our privacy. Um, I hope people take a look at this book. It actually goes on sale June 30th. They can place their orders now online at Amazon, at Books and Noble, at Books and Million, and all those places online. Um, Pardon Gate, how Bill and Hillary... Clinton and their brothers, proper from pardons, some eye-opening stuff in here, new details, new revelations.
3: Yeah, and I, I, I only have like forty-five seconds. I'm up against a break. Uh, the liner book uh, liners for the book liner notes for the book on Amazon say that the details of the Clinton machine will leave even the most informed citizens appalled. You got thirty seconds to give me any detail we might have skipped here
7: that would appall people. The detail, yeah, I think, is how far this corruption went when it came to essentially selling pardons again as i mentioned a few moments ago there were people who are relatively anonymous they were considered nobodies and, and a lot of the media never even picked up on the fact that some relatively anonymous person got a pardon but again his attorney happened to be somebody who had a tight relationship with the clintons and the irony is the person could have been in trouble in a place like colorado they hired an attorney in new york which made no sense but that attorney in new york had clinton ties And that's what it all came down to. There was always a relationship, it seemed. At the end of the day, more than 1,500 people who submitted their pardons, applications, months or even years in advance, never even had them reviewed by Bill Clinton. A lovely couple, the Clintons. Almost 80 people got pardons and commutations by either ignoring the Justice Department or not even submitting an application at all. It just, boom, they got it.
3: Yep. Mark, I appreciate you being on Pardongate, how Bill and Hillary Clinton and their brothers profited from pardons. Again, the lovely couple, Bill and Hillary. Thanks for being here, Mark. Thanks, John. It's a pleasure. Okay. We'll be right back. We're all thinking a lot more about staying safe these days. Windows R Us Pittsburgh is no different. This is John Steigerwald. When it comes to working around your home, Windows R Us remains committed to the safety of you and your family. For roofs, gutters, and downspouts, siding, and, of course, windows, Windows R Us Pittsburgh can answer the call. With over 50 years of home remodeling experience, Windows R Us has earned its reputation as the area's premier exterior replacement company. And all work will be done in strict compliance with the government's social distancing guidelines. If you've had damage, you may be eligible for free repair or replacement. Visit windows or us, Pittsburgh.com for a free inspection from one of their highly trained appraisers. You'll love their no-pressure approach, no hidden fees, and one of the fastest turnaround times in the industry. From a company that will never skip town when it comes to honoring their warranty, why pay double? Trust the area's premier exterior replacement company. That's windows or Us Pittsburgh.com, windows or us, Pittsburgh.com.
6: Get full details on the example policies at selectquote.com commercials. Your premium could vary depending on your health issue and company and other factors, not available in all states.
2: Gold. It's soaring. Are you missing it? If you have an IRA or 401k, you probably are. Less than 1% hold physical gold. We've been told by Wall Street it's for crazy people. Really? What's crazy about an asset that beats stocks two to one? I'm Adam Barada, national best-selling author of the book Gold is a Better Way owner of Advantage Gold an Inc. 5000 member and highest rated gold IRA firm in the world. Gold is booming because gold is really about debt and global debt is a pandemic. If you have an IRA or 401k, I want to give you my book for free. That's right, free. Call 800-900-8000. That's 800-900-8000. Learn why gold will outperform pumped up stocks from this point forward. Turn your IRA into a wealth growth machine. Just call 800 900 8000. It's time to stop being crazy. Call 800 900 8000. It's totally normal to be constipated with belly pain, straining, and bloating again and again. No way. Maybe it's occasional constipation. Maybe it's not.
6: You could have a chronic condition called irritable bowel syndrome with constipation, or IBSC. Linzess, or linaclitide is a prescription that treats IBSC in adults. Constipation. Learn more at lenzes.com or call 1 800 L I N Z E S S. You may be able to talk to a doctor online. Visit lenzes.com, sponsored by Allergan and Ironwood. This is the John Walt Show on AM
0: 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer.
3: Well, Jason Whitlock uh, blocked me on Twitter. I don't know why. I said something to him he didn't like, and I really like the guy. He's a, he's a, a black a former football player, a really good writer, and a, a sports commentator. He just left Fox Sports and uh, now picked up with uh, OutKick, the coverage. And, you know, there's a big stink out there now. Um, Mike Gundy, who's the coach, football coach at Oklahoma State, uh, made the mistake of getting his picture taken on a fishing trip, and he was wearing a, a T-shirt that said OAN on it, which stands for One America News, and uh, one of his players, Chuba Hubbard, who's one of his best players, went on Twitter and said, I will not stand for this. This is completely insensitive to everything going on in society, and it's unacceptable. So it, because if somebody told him that OAN was uh, a racist uh, right-wing um, outlet. So uh, at, at outkick.com, you should go there and check out the piece by um, by uh, Jason Whitlock. It's, it's tremendous. And what he says is, um, I'm going to break some troubling news to Chuba and his teammates. If they read this, I hope they're sitting down. American football coaches have traditionally been conservative philosophically. This dates back to Vince Lombardi, Bear Bryant, George Halas, blah, blah, blah. Bill Belichick wrote a letter endorsing Donald Trump. So he basically says to shut up and, you know, get over yourself. And he's, he has the guts to do it. I love Jason Whitlock. Check him out. Outkick. Check out the piece, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.
0: The John Staggerwald Show is a production of the Answer Pittsburgh and Salem Media Group.